I have to say this. One of the myths about resilience is the saying, what does not kill you makes you stronger. And this is nonsense. And as an experienced trauma therapist, I can assure you, trauma is never a resource. Welcome to Forever Young, the health podcast from Lanzerhof. My name is Nils Behrens, and I'm not looking for eternal use. I'm trying to find answers to what leading a healthy life really means. Therefore, I will be talking to various health experts to find out what you can do to stay fit for as long as possible. And who knows, perhaps this knowledge will help lead you to a longer life after all. Welcome to another episode of Forever Young. My name is Nils Behrens and I am here with Dr. Ursula Levine. Dr. Ursula Levine is originally from Austria. She is a GP. She is a specialist for integrative medicine, uh, traditional Chinese medicine and a trauma therapist. And she's working for our subsidiary in London, the Lanzerhof at the Arts Club in the Dover Street. Hello, Ursula. Hello, Niels. Ursula, we have a very special subject today. Um, our subject is resilience. And uh, when I started uh, to speak with my colleagues about it, uh, then the first question was, what is resilience or what does resilience mean? And uh, I think probably it's a very good question to start. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me tonight. And I love to talk about resilience because it's a very eminent theme at the moment. So I approach this as those of you who have heard my previous talk, and they might remember from a perspective of the five domains or elements of health. They are the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and epigenetic centers of our lives. These elements, they work together as interconnected and an interconnected system and determine our thoughts, feelings, attitudes, how we behave, and the outcomes of our life. So for me, Niels, resilience has actually five core locations, a resilient body, a resilient mind, and so on and so forth. So resilience, that's the good news, is something we all have. And sometimes I'm really, really surprised. My patients have a lot of vocabulary about what is bad in life, but they seldom talk about their resilience. So let's talk about it now. Resilience enables us to effectively manage adversity, resistance, and the opposition that we meet in all our lives. It is the combination of multiple factors, and it's more or less developed for each of us. So it's not an unchanging property and provides us with the tools or skills to handle adversity, such as a robust immune system or good mental health. So this means your resilience, Niels, is different from someone else's, like mine. The resilience determines aspects of our lives as apparently disconnected as posture or speech patterns and, above all, thought processes. Well-functioned and effective resilience enables us to handle the challenges we encounter. So poor resilience results in those challenges overwhelming us. And the question we should be asking is, how do I develop sufficient resilience? So let's consider the following. Resilience has three states or three stages. The first, the, I would say the most important is self-awareness to prepare for adversity. The second stage 
is self-knowledge. How do I react? And the third one is self-control, which encompasses repair and healing. So let's go back to the first key of resilience with the self-awareness. This self-awareness includes understanding where we are right now. Because if we don't know ourselves, let's be honest, then each day will be a confusing sequence of events leading to a lifetime of confusion. So self-awareness is the beginning of understanding our habits, patterns and reaction in any given circumstance. And we all know we react in predictable and consistent ways. The person who is afraid of spiders will always respond in the same way as will the person who fears speaking in public. These are just too easy to see examples. And the arachnophobe knows they are afraid of spiders. That's their basic level of self-awareness. However, as we know, life is different. We meet resistance and opposition in our daily life, which is not always as easily distinguished as a tarantula the size of a hamburger. <laughs> so let's consider the example of cravings or addiction. If someone is addicted to sugar or nicotine, they are not in control of their addiction. Resilience deals with that in that practical terms and puts us in control of it rather than it being in control of us. And that is done by learning to change and adapting, as I will explain. Okay, so that means resilience is in a way uh, innate, uh, but you can learn it. Yes. So our genetics determine much of what we are capable even before we are born. Later, experience teaches us those things we can handle and adapt to and those things which are beyond our capacity. So some of us are squeamish and some are not. Some are full of confidence and some are not. And all of our accomplishments, the abilities and skills we have are part of our personal, individual toolkit. This is now very important. Within our toolkit, Each tool is a competence that defines how we deal with resistance from stress to crisis. And this toolkit is directly comparable, comparable, mistake here, to an engineer's toolbox and individual factors determine how complete and useful that kit is. And these are to do with familiarity, meaning knowing what our tools are, proficiency, knowing how to use these tools we have at our disposal and competence, knowing which tools are missing and how to make them, which leads them to creativity. So if we think about the, uh, the is resilience innate? Well, as I said before, the roots are established before we are born. First, in the form of our genetics, we are predisposed to good health, longevity or weakness of one form or the other. This predisposition informs then how we develop. Second, obviously, it's not all about genetics. It's the domain of epigenetics. I mean, does our environment instill resilience or weak coping mechanisms, optimism or pessimism? As children, did we form healthy attachments where we loved and knew it, where we nurtured and cherished? The way we start out in our life will influence the way we proceed. So what kind of environment did we grow up in and currently define in and around ourselves? These are determining factors that shape our resilience. 
Okay. So, um, but what would you say strengthen our resilience? Well, we definitely can learn resilience. We can learn the resilience by familiarizing ourselves with the three stages, the personal awareness, the knowledge, and the control. Like any discipline, it can be taught, and there are different levels of accomplishment. And you know how it is. We may even have developed a misguided form of resilience that says we can cope independently and we alone know what is best for us because we are us. That means I know best and makes it different Sorry, and makes it difficult to learn or adapt, which is not useful if we want to improve our resilience. We all need support and assistance from each other. Our skills may be precisely what another person needs. And by interacting, there can be a beneficial exchange. So your resilience, Niels, might be benefit, I might benefit from your resilience and learn from you and can develop my own. So my experience as an integrative doctor have shown me that everyone can improve their resilience and how it can be taught and developed. I deal with people all the time in my practice on precisely this. And we are each a different combination of influences, knowledge and understanding. No two people are the same. And I meet them as a therapist where they are. So I want to give you an example. Imagine a ball of wool. The process of unraveling starts from the outside. Most of my patients want to start from the inside because it's the most challenging, right? But it's not how it works. To de develop and ex explore your resilience, you have to start from the outside. And we have all our strengths and weaknesses in specific areas. And these are revealed and dealt with as the unraveling occurs. There are always, I mean, Uh, generic issues that uh, affect us all, like self-esteem, confidence, not caring for ourselves as well as we should. And at the same time, the individual characteristics are a unique blend to each us personally. So in some, resilience can be taught either with a broad sweep approach or with greater precision on a personal level. And now what you asked me before is what strengthens resilience? Well, The first thing is we have to develop the state of being open to change. And the idea that a better, more accomplished you is a reasonable, re realistic objective. I mean, obviously, we change regularly anyway. We age physically. We broaden our knowledge and understanding. The person you and I are today, we carry the record of us, let's say, when we were 21. But we are not longer this person, right? After openness to positive change, We have to be willing to implement the results of awareness. So change is not just an idea. All good ideas need to be acted upon and made real, or they never leave the concept stage. So our well-being and health are real. Positive change requires using the resources at our disposal to implement the outcomes we want. All right. So at the moment, we are in the time of COVID-19. So why is it so important to be resilient at the moment? Well, this is a very important topic at the moment. We are in the time of a global emergency. So we are all together focused upon the idea of dealing with adverse events. So how we deal with them is determined by our resilience. Physically, COVID-19 is a virus. 
So at the viral level, there is a degree of arbitrariness who can contract the disease. Resilience is a determiner in how our immune system functions, how we think about adversity and our attitude of deal to dealing with it. Those aspects have an impact on how we as individuals and all of you, us collectively manage the virus and reduce or increase the potency of its effect. So the COVID-19 is our current adversity and there will be others beyond our event horizon, both individually and collectively. These will range from the next pandemic, God forbid, or global emergency to personal challenges such as the death of a loved one or a personal health crisis. In each of these scenarios, our resilience will be a critical factor. So in an emergency, the resilience cycle of prepare, react and repair is essential. All right. So when we are talking about the immune system, for example, which is um, uh, for me in a way similar to the resilience, uh, I can eat a lot of vitamin C or something like that. Are there also some micronutrients that are beneficial for resilience? Well, to be honest, the question is broader than that. Remember, there are five elements of resilience. The bottom line is, as you say, is that optimal nutrition determines the efficacy of our immune system. A fully functioning immune system performs essential defense processes for our body. And most of this happens without us being aware what's going on. That principle applies to our minds, emotions, our spirits and our environment just the same. The micronutrients of mental resilience include identifying and removing prejudice. I'm Austrian, but if you think all Austrians can yodel, think again. <laughs> a flexible mind that is surprised at nothing is a resilient asset. In our feeling domain, domain it's a cliche, but it's true. Develop an attitude of gratitude. And you know, Niels, we talked about it once, how important gratitude is. Absolutely. Count your blessings and focus on the good things in your life. In epigenetics, try to keep yourself and your home clean and tidy. And there is a wonderful book about the feng shui of decluttering your house. And on the physical level, obviously, practice good sleep hygiene, healthy eating habits, and not only what you eat, but how you eat. So you see, we have an immune system in each of our domains. Infections and diseases that our immune system has dealt with and dispatched do, do not make themselves known to us and they are effectively one less problem to manage. However, avoidable infections or disease goes against the first principle of resilience, which is self-awareness or prevention. When this happens, we have to redirect our resources, use our toolkit, to manage and contain the resulting disturbance or illness. So here's an explicit manage, strive for optimal health and require, then this requires healthy nutrition. Micronutrients are an essential components which we can get from a healthy diet where we have identified or confirmed existing deficiencies. We take supplements or we have IV treatments. Use whatever means at our disposal to support our resilience, just as it helps us. But remember, there are mental, emotional, spiritual and epigenetic micronutrients too. So it's a really holistic thing. Um, for me, it is always very beneficial when you start to learn something very early. So is this topic of resilience also relevant for children? 
Absolutely, Nils. This topic is fundamental because, as I explained, our early years define the stance and attitude we develop in life. The responsibility to, to provide a safe, nurturing environment, though, in which children can grow and foster a healthy approach to their own and others' lives lies completely with the parents and not the child. If children know they are loved, there is always a safe place and that there is an abundance of good feelings they can immerse themselves in, then it will enable their resilience to blossom. If we did not experience that in our own childhoods, then we need to create it now because it is never too late. And I think this is the most important sentence here. Providing children with the right environment does not mean wrapping them in cotton wool. Quite the contrary. It means that when they meet resistance and opposition in their own lives, we give them the support they need to understand that there are ordinary experiences that we all go through. Prepare. We can manage effectively, react and move on, repair. And I have to say this, one of the myths about resilience is the saying, what does not kill you makes you stronger. And this is nonsense. And as an experienced trauma therapist, I can assure you, trauma is never a resource. All right. So I think, uh, so for me, you uh, can really say, uh, you convince me that I have to work on my resilience and uh, we had an exchange some weeks ago that we are both doing some daily gymnastics <laughs> also some daily exercises that you can do to train your resilience yes absolutely and i'm really grateful that you asked me this question because i'm very passionate about these daily exercises and not only on the physical level so a range of practices from mindfulness exercises to breathing techniques posture development and sleep hygiene help develop resilience. So being of the threefold cycles I mentioned earlier and trying to implement that understanding in our daily lives will help too. So awareness, openness and a willingness to implement positive change takes us into extraordinary places we may never have imagined existed. So easy to do daily exercises can take us to these places more often, making them part of our new improved normal. So if you If you want, I'd like to share with you some of the simple yet effective exercises you can take away and practice that help initiate the process. If you don't have to show me something, because showing is on a podcast always a yeah. little bit well, problematic. I can, I can share it with you and describe how it's done, right? All right. So the first one of these is a simple breathing exercise. So I would ask you to sit down in a comfortable chair. Make sure that your feet are firmly planted on the ground. Your hands touch your knees. So the left hand touches the inner side of your knee joint and the right hand touches the right knee on the inner side. And then you focus on your breathing. So you try to create a cycle which goes down the front and up the back. So you breathe out either your nose or your mouth and let your breath fall down like a waterfall down the front of your body, down your chest, through your abdomen, down your thighs, your hands on your knees, your calves, your shins and out through your big toes, literally like a cannon. And you, when you breathe in, you breathe in 
through the soles of your feet, through your heel, on the back of your foot, on the calves, through the backside of your knee joints, up the backside and the spine and in the neck. And it, your breath goes literally through and comes out again through nose and mouth. So you create a cycle downwards in front, exhaling and inwards back up along the spine in your neck. How many of these cycles you do does not matter. It's the doing. And this is, I mean, we are all waiting for our three weeks holiday, which never might, might happen. But this simple breathing exercise, if you just do it for a, a few minutes, will catapult you out of your situation that you're in. And I have patients who have taken themselves out of panic attacks with this breathing exercise. The thing is, you have to exercise it. Yeah, you have to practice. Yeah, Be so you have it at your hand when you need it, when everything just seems to be too much. Okay. Yes, yes. So I've, I've just done it. I don't know if you uh, hear, <laughs> hear my breath, but yeah, uh, yeah. Um, feels good. Feels good. Yeah. So, and the, the, the beautiful thing about this is you can do it anywhere. Nobody knows what you're doing. So you can do it on the tube. You can do it on the train, even in the office. Yeah. You can just sit and you automatically come in a nice position with your back, which is always very good with uh, our personal trainers here at Lanzerhof at the Arts Club always explain to you how posture is very important. Right. So, The, this is the breathing exercise. This is literally something for every day. We can do a more extensive exercise uh, which connects body and mind. And this is, I call it travel through the organs. And it leads a little bit into uh, my next podcast, which will be on in a few uh, weeks about uh, Chinese medicine. So what you do is that you um, assume the same posture, you sit in a comfortable chair, you may close your eyes, feet firmly on the ground, eyes closed, and you start with focusing your awareness on your lungs, on your breathing. And you imagine the air coming in through your nose or through your mouth, down into the lungs and filling your whole lungs with fresh air. And you might even want to touch where your chest goes up and down when you breathe. And when you come to a certain rhythm, you might imagine that the air that you breathe in is white. So a clear white color And you give yourself, let's say, 10 breaths, breaths of this white color. And your hands are on the lungs. And you fill yourself with that white color. Really deep breaths. And make sure that you don't breathe with your abdomen. You breathe with your lungs. 
in and out. And when you've done your 10 deep breaths, we can continue to the next organ. You just tell me. Which my next organ is? The next, the next organ. We go to the next. Right. Okay. So the next organ we feel is not far away. It's the heart. So you can put your hands on your heart. It's a little bit on the left from the middle in your chest. And you just feel your heart beat. After the first exercise, it should have already slowed down a little bit. But just feel it. Feel how your heart beats and pumps the oxygenated blood into the whole body along the blood vessels. And if your heartbeat is very fast, even when you relax, there is something called heart rate variability that can also be trained and it's also part of our physical resilience. This is something we can talk, to, talk about in another time. And when you feel your heartbeat, you imagine the color red. So under your hand, when you feel your heart, you create a patch of red color above your heart. It's literally as if the color red goes into your heart, through the skin, through the palm of your hand. And let yourself do that for another 10 heartbeats. And you tell me when you're ready for the next stage. Ten heartbeats or ten breaths? A breath. Uh, ten breaths. Yes. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Then I need two more. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Okay, so we continue further down. Go to your stomach. And the hand is on the stomach. And the stomach digestion starts in the mouth. And you imagine what goes down through your mouth, the esophagus, into your stomach. And you fill this whole area while your hands are on there with a yellow very bright, like a cornfield. And you give yourself another 10 breaths. <laughs> you breathe in the yellow into your stomach.
All right. All right. Ready for the next one? Of course. So the next one is all about detox, what everybody wants. So you put your hand on the liver and the liver is situated on your right upper abdomen. And if you put your right hand on your rib cage, when the, the pinky, the little finger ends with the rib cage, this should exactly cover where the liver is. So you put your hand on the liver and send in a blue light directly with your breath down to the liver for 10 breaths again. It's funny, I can really feel my liver. Mm. Probably there's something to detox. <laughs> But I'm ready. Okay, so for the next, you will need both of your hands. You touch your kidneys and the kidneys are, you know, when you put your hands on your back. So it's still comfortable to reach up under your rib cage. So literally holding your back. And you feel your kidneys and you flush out and you help your kidneys flush out and you imagine with your breathing the color black. So you're sending a deep black color to your kidneys. Okay. Yes. Okay. So that ended the cycle of our travel through the organs. And you might say, I didn't cover all the organs, but these are, according to Chinese medicine, the five cycles that are the most important in Chinese medicine. Okay. Very interesting. I wasn't 100% sure if I found my stomach right. Could you describe it again where I could find it? Your stomach is when you go to the end of the ribcage in the middle. Okay. And, oh, then, and then a little bit to the left. A little bit to the left. A okay. little bit to the and left. Should I use it, do it with one hand or two hands? Well, you know, you can use one hand and put one, one hand on top of the other. Okay. Yeah. So if you... Uh, instinctively, when you're right-handed, you always put the right hand on top of the left hand. So it doesn't really matter. All right. And uh, what is the background of the colors? The colors, that uh, belongs to a principle that's called the five elements and is part of Chinese medicine. So each organ has a color. Each organ has 
an emotion, a disease factor that comes from the inside or from the outside. But that, that, that I think is topic of another talk. <laughs> <laughs> Ursula, thank you very much. This was really, really an interesting experience. Uh, I hope that all our listeners are also had the time and the possibility to join us. Otherwise, uh, they should uh, do it. We probably will put it into the, our show notes when this exercise will start so that they can jump directly into it next time. Uh, next time probably is the best uh, last word. Uh, thank you very much for sharing this information with us. And uh, I think there's a lot of opportunities to record another podcast together. Thank you. And I'm obviously open for all questions that might uh, arise. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Ursula, how often are you exercising these kind of Yeah, uh, exercise routine. So the, the breathing technique you said you made, uh, you're doing daily. Yes, the breathing technique I do daily at least once. Yeah. Okay. And the other one? The other one I try to do it once a week. Um, because uh, I, I I do it more intensive and I do it uh, before or after I do yoga. So during the week I don't really have time for that. Um, I do physical exercise for 20 minutes every day, half past five in the morning. Um, so, yeah. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed it, please leave me a review and subscribe to this podcast. Please stay healthy.